السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يحته الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد فإن أحسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن شر الأمور محتثاتها وكل محتثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار uh, So we start today inshallah ta'ala a new series of lessons which, which will be based upon this book Al-Arba'oon uh, Hadithan Fi Fadli La Ilaha Illa Allah 40 Hadiths on the excellence or the virtue of la ilaha illallah the statement la ilaha illallah now this is a book compiled by a student of knowledge but it has the uh, commendation it has been read by and commended by sheikh, sheikh salih al-fawzan ta'ala and as you can clearly see from the title it brings together 40 ahadith that revolve around the kalima la ilaha illallah its excellences its virtues calling to it its meaning um, and so on and so forth and it's a fairly light easy book as well and so what we want to do is just to read through the uh, hadith and also some of the benefits that the author has put very very briefly very briefly under each uh, hadith so, as you know, that it was a practice amongst the scholars of the Sunnah, the scholars of Hadith. Uh, the origin of it, there are some Ahadith on this, but um, they are not uh, authentic uh, Ahadith which relate to memorizing 40 Hadith from the Sunnah. They are not authentic. Uh, but nevertheless, some of the scholars, they would compile 40 hadith on a particular topic you see that al-Nawawi compiled 40 hadith there were other scholars al-Ajurri and other scholars they put together 40 hadith for example on the attributes of Allah or on a some other topic so this is a practice that we see amongst the ulama and so therefore you will see plenty of books which are like this al-Arba'oon hadithan upon such and such a topic or upon such and such a topic so in this particular case this author has put together 40 hadiths on the excellence of la ilaha illallah and this statement is the statement that every single messenger every single prophet called to there are many ayat in the quran and tagut. we have sent or raised in every nation a messenger with this command to worship Allah and to shun false gods. This is the meaning of La ilaha illallah. To worship Allah alone and to shun false gods. This is La ilaha illallah. And likewise, every messenger, when he addressed his people, he said to them, Ya qawm, i'budullah, ma lakum min ilahin ghayruh. O my people, worship Allah. You have no other deity besides him. وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ مِنْ رَسُولٍ إِلَّا نُوحِي إِلَيْهِ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنَا فَاعْبُدُونَ 
and we did not send before you any messenger except that we inspired to him that none has the right to be worshipped except me so therefore worship me alone and Allah he also commanded commanded everyone to have the knowledge to have ilm to have knowledge of this kalima meaning to have knowledge of what it means فَعْلَمْ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَاسْتَغْفِرْ لِذَنْبِكَ have knowledge that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah and seek forgiveness for your sin likewise this kalima this word is the reason and the purpose for which Allah he created the jinn and men وَمَا خَلَقُتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ I did not create men and jinn except that they may worship me. So this kalima of La ilaha illallah is the kalima for which the heavens and the earth were created. And it is the kalima upon which the heavens and the earth are maintained. And so on the basis of this there are two parties, those who express this kalima and who understand its meaning and who abide by what it requires from them of action, of belief, of speech, of statement and so on and so forth. And so therefore there are, there are two parties, those who are upon this kalima of la ilaha illallah and those who oppose it and reject it and deny it. And on that basis, we see that in the Quran, Allah has divided the whole of mankind into six categories. And in this ayah, which is an ayah in Surah Al-Hajj, Allah has divided the various religions. This ayah is a basis for us when we, when we, try, when we study religions. How do we classify and categorize religions? And the basis for that is in this ayah. Because Allah Zawajal, He said, Verily those who believe, and so that is the people of Tawheed, the people of Islam. And those who are the, the, the Jews, Yahud. And those who are the Jews, وَالنَّصَارَى and the other Christians وَالْمَجُوسِ <coughs> and the other Magians وَالَّذِينَ أَشْرَكُوا وَالَّذِينَ أَشْرَكُوا <coughs> إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَفْسِلُ بَيْنَهُمْ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ شَهِيدٍ So here we have six divisions. Those who believe, which are the people of Tawheed, the people of Islam, and we have the Yahud, we have the Asabi'ah, then we have the Nasara, then we have the Majus, then we have Walladina Ashraku, which are the Mushrikeen, which fall into many different categories. Okay? So, if we look at this categorization, we see that with respect to them all, the Kalima La ilaha illallah obviously is the central, is the central uh, dispute with all of these groups of people. The Kalima La ilaha illallah. So we'll briefly mention each one of them. So as for the Yahud, because they were the first ones mentioned after, after the people of Tawheed, then we see that in another verse in the Quran, Allah Jal, He said, 
كان الناس أمة واحدة كان الناس أمة واحدة that mankind used to be a single nation mankind used to be a single nation and then Allah he sent you know warners and you know to the, to the rest of the ayah but the point we want to take from this is mankind was once a single nation a single nation upon Tawheed and then we see in the hadith as well inna rabbakum wahid inna rabbakum wahid wa inna abakum wahid indeed your lord is one and your father is one your lord is one and your father is one so what do we gather from all of this when we put this hadith when we put this ayah together we understand from this that the lord of mankind is one the lord of all of mankind whether it is the arab or the non-arab whether it is the red or the white or the black or the white and in fact this hadith itself which i mentioned inna rabbakum wahid wa inna abakum wahid then it continues there is no excellence for the arab over the non-arab and nor the non-arab over the arab nor the black over the white nor the white over the black and in another narration it says nor the red over the white and nor the white over the red so we see that allah azawajal he's the lord of all of mankind and so therefore all of mankind ought to worship allah alone so when we come and look at the deen of the yahud and we look at their books we look at what they say we look at their writings we look at their teachings then the essence of what they say is that the rub is only their rub meaning that the lord is only the lord of the yahud he is not the lord of the rest of mankind and the rest of mankind really are there to serve them and to be subservient to them and that the lord has created the rest of mankind to to serve that purpose for them right and so therefore in relation to them the kalima of la ilaha illallah it is which is what musa al-islam what he came with and what he called uh, the bani israel to then they have distorted they have abandoned and left that meaning and they have made it into a tribal religion a tribal religion and so this is batil this is this is not the message of musa al-islam so the dispute in relation you can see how that this deen that they have concocted and fabricated that how this is not in accord with the meaning of la ilaha illallah from the angle that the rub is the rub of the all of mankind not just of an elite group of people no he's the lord of all of mankind so here the kalima la ilaha illallah in relation to the yahud then we oppose them on that basis what they are upon is not the haq it is it is batil because allah did not favor one race over another another race merely on account of the race itself the qualities of the race itself this is batil and this is injustice and this is tribalism this is racism and we do not accept this so this is uh amanu to the people of tawheed who stick to the way of the messengers so we've discussed them then he said wasabi'een Wasabi'een, the Sabi'ah, Wasabi'ah. Now the scholars are quite divided on the meaning of the Sabi'ah. Um, 
and because the word sabi'ah, the origin of this word literally means the one who moves from religion to religion. It's always shifting from one to the other. This is one, one of the, this is the root meaning of the word, of the, of the root word of uh, the sabi'ah, one who is a sabi'i. One who is constantly changing, moving from one deen to another deen. However, as Ibn al-Qayyim explains, that the sabi'ah, we can divide them into two groups. There were those who were the hunafa, hunafa, meaning that those who stuck to the teachings of the messengers that were sent. So they stuck to what they knew of the way of the messengers and whatever teachings were left, they tried to adhere to them and stick to them. Some of them who were present, they would even make pilgrimage as uh, Ibn al-Qayyim mentions. So they had something with which they clung to of the deen of the messengers, right? The remnants. And then there was another group amongst them who were affected by the philosophy, the philosophy of the Greeks. And they used to live in a land, the land of Harran. Harran is a place where Sheikh al-Islam Ibn Taymi was born, north of Syria, south of Turkey, where, you know, where, where they meet. And these people were established, they had a dola, they had a state, a kingdom in that region, the Sabia. And they were steeped in the philosophy of the Greeks and they used to worship the stars. Right? Just like previously the people to whom Ibrahim al-Islam was sent, they were star worshippers. And that legacy continued. And then, you know, with the, with the philosophy of the Greeks and the cosmology of the Greeks, then these people were into astronomy, astrology, star worship, and things of that nature. They had, it was very philosophical. So, so these people, the Sabi, are being referred to here, are those who were originally, they were clinging to something of the remnants of the teachings of the messengers, right? Just like the Yahud, this is what they claim. This is what they are upon, generally speaking, but they deviated. And likewise, as we shall see, likewise with the Nasara. So with the, with the, with the Sabi'a, our dispute with them is again on the issue of La ilaha illallah, because they fell into things similar to what the you know other, other nations fell into when they fell into something of shirk right and they began to some of them began to worship the stars and things of that nature so again the issue is that of la ilaha illallah the third group which is mentioned or the fourth group in fact so we have the people of tawhid the yahud the sabi'ah then it is mentioned the nasara one nasara and the nasara likewise with respect to La ilaha illallah, which Isa al-Islam he called to, he called them to whatever the previous prophets of Bani Israel used to call to, which is clear in the Torah that there is none, there is no, you have no other Lord besides me. All, all children of Israel, you have no other Lord besides me. And so this is the kalima of La ilaha illallah, he called them to that, but then after him, the Nasara, they as you know that the true followers of Isa salam, what happened to them is they migrated east, they, they, they fled from persecution. So some of them went into Africa and down towards Abyssinia. Others went into the, 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 the Arabian Peninsula. They basically scattered in different directions. They moved in a direction away and some of them actually went into, into Rome and Europe, but they were persecuted. And as for what came into Europe, this was a deen that was concocted and invented by Paul 
And what he did was he looked at the Greeks and the Romans and he saw that they believed in human gods, you know, Apollo, Zeus, and these kind of, and, you know, and all, the, all of the Roman gods. And he, he concocted a religion that they could relate to. So he said Jesus was the son of God and he was human and he was divine. Right? So he concocted a religion that the Romans and Greeks could actually relate to. And so this deen, then afterwards they added the Trinity and things like that. So with the Nasara, this is a deen which is Mubaddal. It is a deen which is altered. It is not the deen of Isa Islam. And that's why Sheikh Al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah, when he wrote his book, uh, a lengthy refutation of a Christian by the name of Paul of Antioch. This is a Paul that came later. And he wrote a refutation against him. Al-Jawabu Sahih, Liman Baddala Deen Al-Masih. The correct reply to the one who altered the religion of the Messiah. So these people, they altered the religion of Isa Ali Salam, and this is what spread to Europe and the whole of you know Western Europe. But as for those who remained upon the Deen of Isa Ali Salam, then there were people found who were still upon that in the time of the Messenger. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, remnants of them, and they accepted uh, Islam. So this is the Nasara. They deviated from La ilaha illallah. And then we have Al-Majus. Al-Majus. And again, we see that the Majus, likewise, <clears throat> when you look at the, 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 the Persians and the followers, you see that there are similarities and resemblances with the teaching, with some of the teachings of the prophets, with some of the teachings of the prophets, and for that reason, you see that they are treated like the Ahlul Kitab in some of the rulings. Um, and uh, but what they did was is that they, for for certain reasons, they came to the conclusion that there is a God of good and a God of evil, and. Um, That there is a God of good and a God of evil. And so they began to venerate the they began to venerate fire. They used to light fire as a reminder of, of goodness. And so again they deviated the point being that they deviated from the teachings of the prophets and messengers, and they concocted this religion of a God of evil and a God of good. Uh, because they believed that God would not perform actions which are evil according to their wrong understanding. And so, you know, their deen, uh, you know, became a corrupt deen. So they are the fifth group of people which are mentioned, Al-Majus. And the sixth group are those, Walladheena Ashraku. And this is everybody else. Everybody else from the Mushrikeen who are furthest away. They are... They have no connection to the teachings of the prophets, even if a prophet and a messenger was, was sent amongst their nation a long, long, long time back. But they have gone so far that they have no connection to the teachings of whatever messenger would have been sent in that nation. So they are the Mushrikeen, the Mushrikeen. And so like you see the, the pagan Arabs, and like you see in, um, you know, in the Americas, in South Americas, and in many other nations like that, where they were just completely upon idol worship, you know, shirk, and they added many other things on top of that as well. So the point being here is that when we look at the Adyan, when we study religions, then we follow the classification in this ayah. Because we see that in all of these individual 
groupings, we see that they deviated in different ways. The Yahud deviated in a specific way. They believed that they were some sort of elite, chosen and special, and that the Lord is only their Lord, not for anyone else. Right? This is now elitism and, and tribalism and you know racism, things of that nature. And when you look at the way that the Sabi'a, how they deviated, they deviated on account of being amazed with the stars and with the you know the sun and the moon and you know things of that nature fascinated with these natural phenomena and then when you look at the way the nasara deviated they fell into exaggeration ghulu and giving giving a prophet the qualities of allah and giving allah the qualities of a human this is ghulu this is exaggeration so exaggeration is another way you can deviate from the deen right and when you look at the uh, Majus, again the Majus, what they did was they tried to uh, try to uh, free Allah of having evil ascribed to him until they went to the idea that there must be a God of evil who does the evil outside of Allah's control. And this led them to, you know, deviation in Allah's rububiyyah. And then after that you have all of the, the polytheists, the mushrikeen, who then they take anything from the creation and they begin to, to worship it. They are the least in intellect, the most deficient in intellect, right? Those who worship monkeys, cows, elephants, you know, things of that nature, idols like the pagan Arabs, the least in, the, the, the least in intellect and the greatest in opposition to the, to the revealed books and the sent messengers, right? So the dispute of all, with all these people is around La ilaha illallah. Which means that a person who says La ilaha illallah to, to make the statement of La ilaha illallah to understand it is from the greatest and mightiest of affairs. It's the greatest and the mightiest of affairs. So this brings us then to the first hadith. Bab La ilaha illallah Awwal al-wajibat al-hadith al-awwal chapter that the that the statement la ilaha illallah is the first of obligations is the first obligation and abdullah ibn abbas radiyallahu anhuma anna rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam lamma ba'atha mu'adhan ila al-yaman qala lahu so from ibn abbas radiyallahu anhuma that the messenger of allah sallam when he sent mu'adh to yemen he is the messenger sending a companion to a region who are, as we shall see, he is sending him to give da'wah. He is sending him to call people to Islam. So what did he say? He said, إِنَّكَ تَأْتِي قَوْمًا إِنَّكَ تَأْتِي قَوْمًا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ فَلْيَكُنْ فَلْيَكُنْ أَوَّلَ مَا تَدْعُوهُمْ إِلَيْهِ شَهَادَةَ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ and in another narration, He said, you are going to a people from the people of the book. So let the first thing that you call them to be the testimony that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah. And in another narration, that they single out Allah, meaning in worship. Now the scholars discuss an issue of methodology here 
which is what is the first obligation upon a servant of Allah? What is it? Someone tell me. What is the first obligation? Huh? What is the first obligation upon anyone? It's in the hadith. It's hadith. Huh? Yeah, to testify, to acknowledge and testify that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah. Why is this important? It's important because you see the chapter heading that this is the awwalul wajibat, the first obligations. The reason for this is, and from this you will understand the nature of our difference with the people of Kalam. Who are the people of Kalam? The Jahmiya, the Mu'tazila, the Ash'ariya, the Maturidiya. Right? We say, the people of the Sunnah say, that the first obligation upon a servant is simply to say, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. Right? Why is this? Why is this? The reason for this is every person, every child, every human is born with an instinct. It is born upon the fitra. Fitra means the innate disposition. Every child, every human is born in such a way that it is inclined to, it, it, it is. Uh, you know, created with an instinctive belief in a creator. It is instinctive, meaning that it isn't something that you even have to look around and think and reflect. It's actually instinctive. It's an instinct that Allah has put within, within every single child, right? No matter which household that child is born in, it's an instinct that is in a child. And so that child, if it, if left upon, you know, without any brainwashing or indoctrination, the child will automatically feel a need and a want to be grateful and, and, and want to worship something. It will want to ascribe what it sees to a creator and a Lord, right? This is something natural and instinctive. And even research has been done now. There is research where they, they, they look at how babies behave and children behave and they come to these conclusions that, that it's actually inbuilt. It's inbuilt to ascribe things to a creator, right? So this is number one. Uh, the fitra in each person already inclines them to worship, worship Allah. This is what we believe. So the first obligation is that a person simply say, Ashadu an la ilaha illallah. Now, as for when a person might have doubt or shubahat, then we say that in the Quran, there are rational evidences, right? There are rational evidences for proving Allah's existence. And these evidences are very clear and apparent evidences, right? Allah, Allah points our direction, our, our vision to look at the sun and the moon and the night and the day and the alternation, you know, in these things and in the seas and in the rain and in how we, <clears throat> our own creation, and in the anim animals that we benefit from and how the earth is revived after its death. All of these things are phenomena that every single human, no matter which part of the earth he is in, these are these al-zahira, meaning that every human can see them and experience them. And this is the nature of the evidence in the Quran. Because the Quran is intended for every single person in every single location of the earth, 
And so the signs have to be such that everyone can see them. This is why the evidence of the Quran is not something that, you know, some scientist in a lab, you know, he's looking, you know, with his microscope. It's, these are not the types of signs that Allah has given and which he has made as evidence against mankind. Right? It is something that signs which Allah you know, very clear and apparent to everybody. So this is something that's apparent to everybody. There must be a creator just by looking at these evident, you know, signs. And a person must be blind not to actually see that. It is blindness, right? Not to actually see that. So this is what we believe. We believe as Ahlul Sunnah that the evidence for Allah's crea- uh, uh, for, for, for a creator is clear and apparent. Clear and apparent, right? So therefore the first obligation is Ashadu an la ilaha illallah unless there are doubts in which case we use the clear ayat and bayyinat which are in the Quran. What did the people of Ilmul Kalam, what did they say? The people of Ilmul Kalam, we are talking about the Jahmiya, Mu'tazila, Ash'ariya, Maturi, what did they say? They had a number of statements that they, that, 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 they, that they had. They said that the first obligation, the most extreme view is for you to start from a position of doubt. Right? So you say to yourself, right, I'm going to start as an agnostic, as from an atheist position, then I'm going to prove to myself the existence of Allah. And then, what evidence did they use? It wasn't the evidence of the Quran, which are clear, apparent evidences. Rather, they went into philosophical arguments that they took from the Mushrikeen, from the Sabi'ah, from the philosophers, from the Greeks. These are really weak philosophical arguments. And these arguments didn't even prove Allah's existence. Right? And then that's why many of their scholars, their leading scholars, they actually became confused in their lives. Right? Al-Ghazali, Al-Razi, these kind of people, they become really confused about, because the arguments were like so weak and philosophical. Right? So, so some of them said the first obligation is to start from a position of doubt. This is really kufr. You are essentially saying that I will start from a position of kufr and then convince myself of Iman. Is this what we see in the Quran? Is this what we see in the Quran? Is this what the messengers call to anybody? Is this, is this what the messengers call to? Did they say, oh people, doubt in Allah's existence, then prove to yourself he exists. Is this the call of the messengers? No. They said, Ya qawm, Allah, ma lakum min ilahin They called by appealing to the people's fitrah. That's what they did. And if these people had some, argue, had some misconceptions, then the prophets began to use their rational arguments. Do you understand the sequence? The sequence. The sequence is, call the people on the basis of their fitrah. If they then have shubuhat or doubts about tawheed, then bring rational arguments. Then the rational arguments come after that. Do you understand? And then if you study the arguments of the prophets and messengers with their people, you will see them using rational arguments. Ibrahim alayhi salam. Do your idols, can they see? Can they hear? Can they speak? Can something which can't hear, see and speak, is it worthy of worship? 
Right? These are rational arguments. Denying the qualities of Rububiyyah from the things that are being worshipped. Isa alayhi salam. He just walked the earth and his mother. They used to eat and drink. Right? Is this something worthy of being a lord, a rabb? No. Right? So then these are rational arguments against each of these groups that we mentioned earlier. Right? Yahud. Sabi'ah. Allah says in the Quran about the, you know, ayatihi, ashams, uh, the sun and the moon are from his signs. Do not worship the sun and the moon. Worship the one who created them. Right? So you see in the Quran rational arguments against all of these different groups. So the point being that the first obligation by way of fitrah is to say, Ashadu la ilaha illallah. If there are doubts, then these arguments, then the rational arguments of the Quran are used. Not the philosophical, long-winded, you know, confusing arguments of the philosopher and the people of Kalam, which they brought into Islam. So, the first group amongst them said, what did they say? They say, start from a position of doubt, shak. Right? The first wajib is shak. Some of them actually said that. Then there are others who said the first wajib is, they say, another wal istidlal, which simply means look around you and now start find, to find evidence for Allah's existence. This again is incorrect. This is not true. This is not the first obligation because Allah's existence is already in the fitrah. Right? And then they had a discussion, some of them, about well, what if a person who is a muqallid, who's a blind follower, like a child who just you know um, follows his parents without rationally proving what do we say about his faith they had a discussion about this and some of them went to extremes like al-jawaini and he said a person who reaches maturity so imagine now we have a child of t nine ten years old he reaches his maturity at the age of 11 12 right becomes mature right and then he does not convince himself rationally of Allah's existence by philosophical methods then this person is a kafir he's to be and if he dies before proving himself rationally of Allah's existence then he should be buried in the graveyards of the disbelievers right can you believe that you know the ghulu and the extremism that they fell into right in this fundamental in this foundational thing so this is the people of kalam to them the more extreme of them, shak, doubt. Right? This is the more extreme of the of them. Others they said, prove rationally to yourself that Allah exists. And others said, you know, they made an obligation. This is an absolute obligation. And then others said, the more moderate view is that they said, well, it's acceptable. The iman of a muqallid, the blind follower, it's acceptable, but it's disliked. Right? This is the moderate view that they that, that they came to. So what do we take from this hadith in Ya'ikhwan? What do we learn from this hadith? Indeed, you are, come, you are going to a people of the people of the book. Let the first of that which you call them to be what? That they, uh, that, that none, that the shahada and la ilaha illallah. Or that they single out Allah. This tells us a methodology of calling other people to Islam, to Allah, right? Then he said, فَإِنْهُمْ أَطَاعُوكَ لِذَلِكَ فَأَعْلِمْهُمْ 
أن الله افترض عليهم خمس صلوات في كل يوم وليلة. If they accept this from you, then inform them. If they obey you in this, then inform them Allah has obligated upon them five prayers in every day and every night. فإنهم أطاعوك أطاعوك لذلك فأعلمهم أن الله افترض عليهم صدقة تؤخذ من أغنيائهم فترد على فقرائهم. And then if they accept that from you, meaning the prayer, then inform them that Allah has made obligatory upon them charity which is taken from their rich and given to their poor. Then if they accept that and obey you in that, فَإِيَّاكَ وَكَرَائِمَ أَمْوَالِهِمْ Then beware and do not take the best part of their wealth. وَاتَّكِ دَعْوَةَ الْمَظْلُومِ فَإِنَّهُ لَيْسَ بَيْنَهَا وَبَيْنَ اللَّهِ حِجَابٍ and fear the supplication of the oppressed one. For indeed, there is nothing between the supplication of the oppressed one and between Allah. There is no barrier between Allah and the supplication of the one who is oppressed. So this is what he commanded Mu'adh bin Jabal when he sent him to the Yemen where there were Jews and Christians. And so on the basis of this hadith, there are a number of things, obviously, we can take, the benefits that we can take. So first of all, obviously, is the excellence of La ilaha illallah. It is the first thing that we call to. We do not call people, and you see this in the seerah of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He didn't call people towards women's rights. He didn't call people towards abolition of alcohol. He didn't call people to uh, abolishing usury these social ills and social evils which were no doubt present. In fact, all of the shara'i', shara'i' they weren't revealed up until Medina. Until in Medina. And this really shows you the jahl of these groups like Hizbut Tahrir, Al-Ikhwan and these kind of people. And you see that what they're trying to do is they're trying to implement as they claim to establish the Khilafah and everything is based upon the, the shara'i' of the hudud and the ahkam and so on and so forth. This is from their jahl. This is from their jahl. And there's a statement of Aisha radiallahu anha, which is related from her, to the, with the meaning that if at the beginning alcohol was prohibited, then the people would have fled from Islam. Right? There's a, an author which is, which is like this, which is related from Aisha radiallahu anha. So the point being that the first thing that we call to is La ilaha illallah. And it is not the social ills or the political ills. And that is the difference between the da'wah of the Anbiya and the da'wah of the Siyasiyun, you know, the politicians and other people, in that they are, not, they are not interested in rectifying the society truly. The true rectification is on the basis of La ilaha illallah. And this is the rectification of the dunya. They're interested in other things because they have other aghrad, they have other goals and objectives that they have either they are seeking leadership or they are seeking to uh, you know they are seek they are, they are motivated by nationalism they want a state for example or they have other motives and objectives and that's why their call is political right they have grievances against the rulers they want revolution right they all have grievances and motives which are not the motives and the objectives of the prophets and the messengers so first of all the excellence of la ilaha illallah and it is the first of obligations.
The first obligation is Ashhadatu Allah ilaha illallah. Remember this. This is the key thing from this hadith. And therefore, the first obligation upon a da'i is to invite the people to La ilaha illallah. To say to the people, why don't you testify that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah? So when you go to, for example, a Yahudi, you say that the Lord is the Lord of mankind. He's not just your Lord. He's not uniquely your Lord. He's the Lord of all of mankind. And he commanded the prophets of, of Bani Israel to testify that there is none which has a right to be worshipped and not to look down upon mankind. So come to this kalima, la ilaha illallah, and do not look down upon the people. Do not think that the Lord is only your Lord to the, to the exclusion of other, other, other people. This is where we begin. This is where we begin. We don't begin by you know, criticizing the conspiracy, you know, the, the people who believe in, that believe that every single Yahudi is involved in a conspiracy and Freemasons. And this, this is not the starting point of our da'wah. There are many people engrossed in this, in, 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 this, in this stuff. This is not where we begin. We begin with the issue of La ilaha illallah and telling them that this is what the prophets of Bani Israel used to call to. And you people, what you've done, you've made your, 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 your rabbis into, into arbab, lords besides Allah. They believe that, they are, that Allah continues to speak to them, just like the Rafida claim about the ayatollahs, that Allah continues to speak to them and guide them and Allah's spirit is inside them. This is the meaning of Ruhullah. They claim that Allah inhabited Ali. The spirit of Allah inhabited Ali. And what they have today of the, the, the ayatollahs, the, when they say Ruhullah, this is what they mean. They mean that Allah is in, in them, in their spiritual leaders. And therefore it is obligatory to follow them. This concept of the Rafida, where does it come from? It comes from the Yahud. They claim that the, 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 the rabbis, they are con they, that they are divinely, continue to be divinely inspired. And that they have absolute divine authority. They cannot be ob or disobeyed. Right? So, come back to La ilaha illallah. Abandon this, this, this tabdeel, this, you know, deen mubaddal that you, that you wrote yourselves, which is not what Musa claimed to. This is the starting point. Right? This is the starting point. Likewise with the Nasara. Our starting point with them is to say that Allah Azawajal, He ordered that we worship Him alone and we do righteous deeds. Righteous deeds is the way that you get into paradise. This is the way. As for what you people claim, your claim that Isa died for your sins, this is wrong. This is battle. This is false. It opposes reason. And what you are really trying to say, what the Nasara are really trying to say, and I give this example, which is a good example, is their belief is like this. Isa, first of all, he came and he called to the Kalima, La ilaha illallah. And he told them that righteous deeds will get you into the kingdom of heaven. That's what he said. Very, very clear. And he said, I have not come to change the law. Only the one who fulfills the law will he enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? So it's Tawheed. Tawheed. Al-Amal al-Salih. Right? And sticking to the Shara'i. This is what all the prophets and messengers came with. Right? This, this is what he called to. Now what you people have done is you, 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 Belittle your own intellects. This is what you are really saying. You are saying, if you imagine you as a person, 
You have neighbors who are harming you. They are harming you. They are breaking down your fence. They are abusing you. They are being a nuisance to you. So you decide. So after hating them and punishing them and destroying them and beating them, all of a sudden you now decide, well, you know what? I'm going to change, right? So this is how it used to be in the, in the Torah. You know, genocide of the, of the previous nations and killing them and wiping them out and destroying their men, women, children. Like we see, this is what we find in the Torah, according to what's in the, in the, in the books. So now all of a sudden, the Lord of mankind changes. Now he loves mankind so much. This is what the Christians say, right? That he had his own son killed so he could forgive them, right? This is what they say. So the example, the parable, what they're really believing in when we break it down as a parable is like this. It's like this. So if you imagine your neighbors who are a nuisance to you, harming you, breaking down your fence, burning your plants and your whatever else, scratching your car, whatever else. So then you decide, I love them so much that I'm going to take my son and throw him in front of a bus or chop him into pieces and feed him to the sharks. And then I'm going to come and tell them that I loved you so much that I killed my son, I sacrificed my son because I love you so much. And if you believe that my son died for your abuse against me, then you will be forgiven. That's the deen of the Nasara in a nutshell. The entire religion of the Christians is this. And so you ask a Christian, would you ascribe to God, to Allah, something that you wouldn't have ascribed to yourself as an insult to your intellect? And if he says, no, I would never do that, then tell him, well, this is what you are doing. Would you accept, would you, would you behave like this with your neighbors? No, 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 no. And that shows you're upon a deen batil. This is how you just finish off a, a, a Christian. So you tell him, you, 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 your, your deen is batil. You've just admitted it yourself. If, you don't, if you're not happy that this should be ascribed to you, because it's an insult to your intellect, how can you ascribe this to the Lord of the Worlds? Right? So, our call to the Nasara is on the basis of what? La ilaha illallah, worship Allah alone, do righteous deeds, and adhere to the law. That's what you were commanded with. That's what Isa al commanded you with. Return back to that. Right? And desist from all of this nonsense of, of Trinity or whatever else that you took from Greek philosophy and whatever else. This is where we start. This is where we start. We don't start with, you know, uh, the Crusades you did and you were bombing if Afghanistan and Iraq. And this is, this is just the politician speaking. Again, these are people who do not understand Allah's qadar, Allah's qadar, the wisdom in Allah's actions, right? We are supposed to call these people to tawheed and to the forgiveness of Allah and to, you know, to, for, them to, for, for them to... So once they understand this, then everything else will follow. And so you see these others, as I said, these misguided people, when they, like these Hizb tahrir people, full of hate, full of toxic emotions, full of, you know, whatever else, right? And instead of thinking, right, how can we guide these people to Islam? Or at least how can we remove their misconceptions about Islam? What do they do? They go to the average person on the street and they say, you evil, filthy, you are bombing the Muslims, this, that, whatever, death to Britain, death to the Prime Minister, this, that. What is this? What is this? this, is, this is, is this the way of the Prophets? 
Is this the way of the messengers? Is this what the companions used to do to the Quraysh? Did they used to march and demonstrate against the leaders of the Quraysh and, and, and complain? This, this is deficiency in intellect, really. It's also, it's also, to be honest, in a way, it's a revilement of, 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 of Allah's rububiyyah in the sense that when you are marching and making these types of slogans, it's as if you are complaining to the creation. That's what you're doing. You are complaining to the creation about these evils and whatever else and demonstrating and remonstrating against them. As if, you're com as if, as if somehow, but it isn't, you know, it, 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 it's kind of a tanakos in a way of Allah's rububiyyah. Because first of all, you are ignorant of why these things are happening in accordance with Allah's al-qada wal-qadr and his hikmah. You are juhal in that respect. Because there are reasons why these things are happening and they're mentioned in, in, in the Quran, number one. And secondly, this was not the way of the messengers and the prophets. Look at how the messenger of Allah the torture and the abuse that took place in Makkah. In fact, there's a hadith I'm going to come on to uh, 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 in, in, in uh, it'll have to be in another lesson, inshallah. You will see amazing. In fact, I'll mention it to you now because it's related to the, to the, to the topic. The messenger of Allah he went to the market and he would say, Ya qawm, qulu la ilaha illallah. Behind him was Abu Jahl. Abu Jahl with stones in his hands. Throwing them at the messenger of Allah and saying to the people, Ya nas, they would say to him, do not listen to the man, for this man, for innahu kadhab. Throwing, you know, stones at the messenger of Allah telling the people, do not listen to this man because he's a liar. Right? And the messenger of Allah he's calling the people, oh people say la ilaha illallah. Meaning, believe in Tawheed. Now look at this scenario, look at this scenario. Right? And compare this to what is done by these khawarij, takfiri terrorists, Hizbut Tahrir, Ikhwan al-Muslimun, and all of these misguided deviants. Look at them. What, 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 what is it they want from the people? They don't want guidance for the people. They are just angered by worldly reasons. The world is what's angering them. If they were truly following the way of the prophets and messengers, they would follow the example of Muhammad He went to Ta'if. He went to each house for 10, 11, 12 nights or to, to, to whatever, how many days it was. Knocking on the doors, asking them to enter into, you know, to, to accept Tawheed. At the end of it, what they did was they got their children to throw stones at him, to expel him from the city. And then Jibreel al-Islam came to him and said, basically he said to him, command me with whatever you wish. They will be destroyed. He said, no, perhaps from their offspring there will be those who will worship Allah. Where's the vengeance and where's the, where's the hatred here? The, 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 the king of Al-Yamama, the king of Al-Yamama, Thumama bin Athal was his name. He was so angry against the Muslims, he went out, he killed a few Muslims. Then he went to Medina looking for the messenger of Allah 
to kill the messenger of Allah. He came to Medina and he, he was caught. Then he was brought to the mosque and tied up. And the messenger of Allah came to him and said to him, Why have you come? The messenger knows why he's come. Why have you come? Right? And, you know, he tries to give a diplomatic answer. So he kept him there for three days. After three days, he let him go. You are free to go. So he went to the outskirts of Medina, stopped, stopped at a well, made wudu, came back and he accepted Islam. Now where is the vengeance and the hatred here in the Messenger of Allah? Where, where is it? Where is it? He came to kill the Messenger of Allah. Right? So can you see the difference between what the prophets and messengers wanted from their people? You read every single story in the Quran about every single prophet. Shu'ib, Hud, Lut, Salih, Ibrahim, Islam. Where do you see? You will not see a trace. You will not see. You will not see this you know, absolute vengeance and hatred and rather you see that they want to guide their people. This is what you see from the prophets and messengers. Right? So the point being, as I was saying, that this what you see from these from these misguided takfiri, extremists, terrorists, ikhwanis, whatever else, where everything they talk about is, you know, the oppression and tyranny of, of you know, these crusaders, as, as they say, and you know all they think about is vengeance and revenge and killing and slaughter and this and what and this whole this is toxic ya ikhwan this is toxic these are toxic thoughts and feelings this is not what the messengers and the prophets this is not how they used to be right do not fall into this this poison or be affected by this poison the only person who falls into this poison is the one who is ignorant of the aqeedah of Ahlul Sunnati wal Jama'ah. Because these things which take place, which are far bigger than me and you, right? There are reasons and wisdoms behind this. They are far bigger than me and you. You will die, I will die. These things will still be taking place. Right? Because this is now civilizations, nations. Right? Allah Azawajal, there are times, there are centuries in which Allah... He gives ascendancy to certain nations and civilizations. There are other times where he puts them in check. There are other times where other people come and puts them in check. Nations, they come and they go. Civilizations come and they go. They become powerful. Then they fall. These things take place over centuries. In the process, there is oppression. There is killing. Right? Who is the one who is behind all this? It is Allah Azawajal. Kullu yawmin huwa fi sha'an. Every day he's engaged in, you know, in regulating some affair. If you do not understand this, and if you do not understand the affairs that take place in the dunya, in accordance with what Allah has mentioned in his book, of how he deals with his creation, how he raises nations and humiliates nations, and how the messenger of Allah, how, what he has mentioned in, in, in the sunnah, of the rules and laws in his creation, like for example when the people when they cheat in the weights and measures Allah will make them face poverty shiddatul ma'una wa illa ukhidhu bisidin wa shiddatul ma'una wa jawri sultani alayhim that Allah Zawajal will put the tyranny of the ruler over them this is how rulers become tyrannical upon the Muslims why because when me and you when we cheat in the weights and measures we cheat each other in the trade and the dealing 
and the measuring of the potatoes and the measuring of the water and we cheat each other. When we do this, it is from Allah's law in his creation that he will make the runes tyrannical over you. Right? This is what the Tahriri is not telling you. This is what the Ikhwani is not telling you. This is what the Khariji is not telling you because he is jahil of Allah's khalq and Allah's amr, of Allah's creation and Allah's command. He's ignorant of these affairs, right? So all of this, this emotional rhetoric, all of it is toxic poison. Don't fill yourself with this toxic poison. Fill yourself with ilm, with knowledge, with the way of the prophets, with their da'wah, with the meaning of tawheed. And this is what you should be engaged in. And you will see true rectification in societies. So likewise, in this society that we are in, we are not there to, we don't, we don't have this hatred and vengeance against these people. These people, they, 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 they don't know. The idea of Islam that these people have in their minds is the, is the Islam of the Khawarij and the Takfiris of Daesh, ISIS. This is what they think Islam is. Right? And we have to wage a war against these, uh, the, the, the takfiris, the khawari, the terrorists and extremists. And at the same time, we have to intend guidance for these people. Just like the messengers of Allah, you see in the Quran, you see how they were concerned. Concerned for their people. And they wanted to guide them. Sincerely, this is how they were. You read the stories of the prophets, that's how they were. So this is how a Muslim is. And this is what this hadith teaches us. That the first thing that we call to is that they single out Allah in worship. So I mentioned the Yahud, I mentioned the Nasara, the Maji, Majus, and, the, 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 and those who commit shirk. So with all of them, we behave in an appropriate manner. Each of them have deviated in a certain way, and we call them to the truth in that way. So the first benefit is, or the first benefit is the excellence of La ilaha illallah. It is the first obligation. So can you see now? How do we differ as people of the Sunnah? We differ from Ahlul Kalam. Yes? Why are Ahlul Kalam, Ash'ari's Ma'atul? Why are they wrong? Because they are focusing upon just proving Allah's existence, which is already built into people in the first place. And then the way they're proving it is not the way of the Quran. It's using some crass philosophy, crude philosophy, confusing, long-winded, right? Which leads you, which yourself, you will become confused, right? Right, that's, so we oppose them. Then we see the takfiris and tahriris and khawarij and these people, terrorists, extremists. What is their way? It's filled with toxic emotions of hatred and vengeance. Right? No ilm. Just trying to understand the affairs of the dunya upon worldly considerations. No ilm of Allah, his names, his attributes, his laws and his creation. Right? His justice, his wisdom, none of that. Just toxic emotions, hatred, vengeance. Right? You become consumed in that and you, you then forget about, well, what about trying to call these people to be saved from the hellfire? Don't you think these people deserve to, to be saved from the hellfire if they die upon shirk? What, what happened to all of that? Right? So look at how, when we speak about the first obligation, how, it, how we are separated automatically from all these different deviants and extremists and people who are upon dalala and misguidance, this shows the tremendous meaning behind you know, this, this kalima la ilaha illallah. And likewise this hadith which we, which we are beginning with. So if they obey you in that, so that, that's the first benefit uh, as we mentioned. 
Also, within this hadith is an explanation of what is the meaning of La ilaha illallah because it clearly said in a, in a, in a narration, This is the meaning of La ilaha illallah that you single out Allah, meaning in worship. So the hadith also contains the explanation of La ilaha illallah. It is Tawheed. It is Tawheed. And this is the mention of Tawheed in the texts. Third benefit that we have. Um, so we have the first benefit, the excellence of La ilaha illallah, and it's the first obligation. Uh, second benefit is that it's the first thing that we call to. Anyone who's given that away, it's the first thing that you call to, not anything else. Third thing is that it contains the meaning of La ilaha illallah. It is Tawheed, the single out Allah in worship. Fourth thing is that... Um, this kalima la ilaha illallah is a condition for the acceptance of all other actions. Without la ilaha illallah, no righteous deed is accepted from anybody. It has to be upon this testification. Fifth benefit is the virtue of the five prayers and the virtue of az-zakat. And we see that tawheed is often mentioned with these two things, right? Those who establish the prayer and who give the zakah, like in Surah Al-Bayyina, for example. They were not commanded except to worship Allah alone and to establish the prayer and to give the zakah. To give the... So we see in the Quran, often Tawheed is connected with As-Salah and As-Zakah. So the Hadith likewise explains the virtues of the prayer and the, and the, and the giving of the zakah. Um, likewise, it mentions uh, the... Those to whom the zakah should be given to, to the, to the poor. It indicates that you take from the rich and you give to the poor. And finally, it mentions the justice of Islam in that when you take the wealth, you do not take it from the best part of people's wealth. In other words, when, you, when, you, when the people give zakah and the person goes and collects the zakah, you don't start taking the best part of their wealth, that which they treasure and like the most. Don't take the best part of them. And also, finally, the, uh, the, final, the ninth benefit is that, the, that Muslims are prohibited from oppression. Because the one who is oppressed, even if he is a non-Muslim, a non-Muslim, because this is from the rights of the Rububiyah of Allah Azawajal, a non-Muslim is still from the creation of Allah Azawajal. He is a servant of Allah Azawajal. If a non-Muslim is oppressed, and he calls out to the Creator and he says, Oh God, I am oppressed, establish justice for me. Even a non-Muslim that we see in, in, in the Sunnah, his Allah will answer his, his dua because it is it is from the from it is from the Rububi of Allah. He is Al Adal, he is just, he is the Lord of all of mankind, and he will establish justice. So to that degree, we should fear the, 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 the supplication of the one who is oppressed. Oppression will be darkness on Yawmul Qiyamah. It will be darkness. If you oppress anyone, it will be darkness for you on Yawmul Qiyamah, whether he is a Muslim or a non-Muslim. Hence we see at the end of the hadith, hijab. Fear the da'wah of the one who is oppressed, the call of the one who is oppressed. For indeed between him and between Allah, there is no barrier. There is no barrier. Reported by Al-Bukhari and Muslim. So with that, we this is the end of the first hadith. As you can see, there are tremendous benefits from this hadith. 
It starts with the, the call to the testimony of La ilaha illallah, to the meaning of Tawheed, to the Shara'i, to the additional righteous deeds. There are many tremendous benefits from this when we consider the fact that it was Mu'adh being sent to the Yahud and the Nasara. So we look at the people who are being sent to, what are they upon? Right? There are tremendous benefits to this, to this hadith if we were to reflect upon that and how all of it revolves around the kalima la ilaha illallah, the first obligation upon all of mankind. So with that, we will conclude our first lesson there today. Uh, and we'll continue with this inshallah ta'ala in two weeks time. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.